Welcome to Inclusion Podcast. I'm Chantelle Doucette. I'm Paul Anderson Walsh. And we're really looking forward to this one. Um, we've got uh, Carrie and David Grant, um, who are broadcasters, authors in the leadership space. I mean, they do a gazillion things, right? They do a gazillion things. And not only that, they're also family. So that's fabulous, right? Yeah, indeed. So looking forward to you getting into this conversation and uh, let us know uh, how you receive it on the other side. Inclusion. Inclusion podcast by the Centre for Inclusive Leadership. Carrie and David Grant, it is so good to have you on. How good is this? So lovely to be on. It's the only way we can get to have a coffee with you. (laughs) In real life, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. It's just, we're just so thrilled to have you on, honestly, and just so excited to have this discussion with you. Um, I was going through, uh, you know, because obviously we know each other for so long, and I was like, okay, so what's the CV of, you know, David, David and Carrie? I was like, oh, uh, BAFTA award-winning broadcasters, vocal coaches, leadership coaches, campaigners. I was like, yeah, done quite a lot. Quite a lot. Um, and award-winning mobos, you know, amazing. And the work that you do, um, which is a conversation we'll get into about, you know, autism awareness, which is mm-hmm. great. And then you've got your books. I know you've got a book coming out on the 11th of May, which is a, a very modern family. So we might get into some of that as well. But just really thrilled to have you on. Thank you so much. Thanks for having wonderful us. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. And also, it's nice little role reversal because normally I'm on. Yeah, I'm normally interviewing you. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for the questions now. It's great. <laughs> Let's jump in and ask the first one. Um, what does inclusion mean to you? Wow. There's no such thing as equality of ability because we are all different. But inclusion means to me that whatever your ability, you're not denied the opportunity to fully express it. Whatever your talent or your outlook, you're not denied the ability to grow to your full height in it. You're not just allowed to be in the room where it happens. You're given a seat at the table. You're not just permitted to listen to the music. There's a space for you on the dance floor Mm. that whoever you are and whatever you are, there's a recognition that your uniqueness should be not just recognized and celebrated, but actually that you bring something that nobody else brings. Mm. Inclusion means the cake has all the ingredients. (laughs) Mm, Wow, that's that's incredible. Um, I heard you say it this week and it put me in mind of of something that Paul said, which was um, that inclusion is about belonging on your own terms. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have to be like you to be permitted to express my truth and my opinion. I don't have to be like you in order to be embraced. Yeah, I can be like me and celebrate you being like you. It's lovely. I think that word belonging is really fundamental to inclusion. I think we have a desire, most people probably have a desire to belong, Mm. to feel like you belong to some other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that historically we think of belonging as being belonging to people that look like me and sound like me and act like me. Mm. Whereas true belonging means that there's space, there's enough space in this world for everybody, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So why do, why are we battling over space? It's there's enough. Yeah. There's enough for us all to belong. So for me, I think what you said was great, but I think that it's a feeling. Inclusion is a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and that feeling mm. is 
I belong. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. so exciting. That's incredible. It's great, isn't it? Because we make a big point out of that, Carrie. One of the things that we talk about, and, and I love the way you positioned it, David, because for us, we think about diversity as difference. So if you like, mm, diversity yeah. is a fact. And it, why is it a fact? It's a fact because we're all unique. Yes. If we all turn our hands over and we'll see, none of us have got the same fingerprints, right? Because we are all unique human beings. And if you say that diversity is a fact, then for us, inclusion is a feeling. Mm. And then the issue is, how, do I, how am I meant to feel about my facts? So yeah. if I show up as, do you know me, as who yeah. I am, can I belong with this set of facts? Or do I have to potentially do some work around hiding, switching, covering, decoding mm. mm. those facts? Because I want to, your point, I want to belong with you. Mm. And what I'm sensing is that belonging given the facts that make me who I am. And I know we want to talk about intersectionality mm. because none of us are a single fact, right? Yeah, I think it's also about the fact that we are different to and different from our two different states. Mm. You know, we're different to one another is one thing, but being different from suggests that there is an ideal mm -hmm. and, and, and there are certain people exactly. who are different from that I ideal. Yes. Um, and then, society has set up what it sees as that ideal and and that i would like to see that broken down so that it's just we're just different to each other yeah. because once we set up what the ideal is you know normal is an ideology in itself yeah. <laughs> let's not pretend True. that it's not someone said this is normal this is the natural mm. and we all kind of went okay then all right and then how do I match up to that? Oh, I'm very different from that. Mm. Or I'm not very different. Great. Oh, I, I can fit. That's great. You know, how, however we stand on a spectrum around that. But it's not about being different from. Like, why is, why is this normal ideology? Why does it have to sit there? Why can't normal be just difference in everybody being different? Then why can't that be normal? You're absolutely right. Because, because when one says normal, what people are really saying is familiar. Mm. You know, if I get on, uh, on my trap and I've got a pony, and somebody passes in the car and I've never been in a car, normal is a horse and car mm. because it's familiar, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the normal changes all the time to the point where ultimately you realise there is no normal because what's normal to one person yeah. is completely is abnormal to yeah. another. Yeah. So rather than saying, look, this is the standard, this is the line and anything that is not normal is always perceived to be less than, Yeah. why don't we just say, what are you? What are you? Oh, who are you? Who are you? Yeah. You know, and, and, and let's, let's explore that mm. rather than saying, well, you know, you have to shift it a little bit to the left or to the right in order to be, in order to be accepted. Let, let me ask you something, because I think that's really interesting. And, and if, if belonging, and I think it's a primal need, actually, I don't think anybody escapes the need to belong. That need for social belonging is very profound, right? Mm. So if I want to belong with and belong with you, mm -hmm. but I sense that your proposition is I'm different from you. Mm. If I'm different from you, but I want to belong with you, what do I do? I think that you have to get over whatever whatever stands in the way from you feeling that belonging. You know, in a very simple way, when David and I met, we look very different. Mm -hmm. And so David didn't have to overcome anything because David has grown up be all, pretty much always being the only black person in the room. Whereas I've grown up with the privilege of always 
just being amongst people who are white and that's a white thing and and, and with the dominant it's the normal the it's the natural it's the yeah. majority yeah, yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> it's me that needed to do the changing so i think i think it's confronting our own prejudices confronting our own feelings about difference i think once and then once you're on that journey it's so exciting because you realize wow the world is so broad and so incredible and so diverse and wow isn't diversity incredible so, you know, that to me is the, an adventure yeah. that I'm still learning every day of my life. There's a, a new person. Everyone is different anyway. So that every person you meet is like, what are you bringing? Wow, you got this. This is what you bring. For me, that's something that doesn't feel threatening. It's never been threatening. It's exciting and wonderful and something to explore. I, I, I agree with you. But I th I, again, I'm, I'm wanting to go after you on this one a bit because I think this to me is fascinating because the, the thing is that what I'm seeing is and is the notion of saying, it's all right if you're different from, as long as eventually you become the same as. Right. So what you end up with is you don't end up with me holding my difference. Mm. What you end up saying is actually, I have to homogenize my difference if I want to belong here. So in corporate life, I think this is really complicated because when you go into the corporate space and you can pick any aspect of diversity you want, let's say gender, let's say race, doesn't matter what it is, um, I think so many people who present differently from the belonging narrative in the group, yeah. what they end up doing is they end up kind of imitating the group. So rather than literally being themselves in the group, they morph into the group yeah. itself. It's into a simulation, isn't it? It's a so simulation. That's exactly yourself. right. And I worry about that, right? Because I think to myself, the thing that I want to hold on to more than anything else, because I think this is the only question there is to answer, is who am I when I stop being who I think I am? Mm. Because I think so many of us are caught in this desperate anguish and this desperate anxiety between the person we pretend to be mm -hmm. and the person we know ourselves to be. And I think that that becomes so complicated in corporate life. Mm. And it's just exhausting, isn't it, when you're playing that game out? I think in corporate life, the, the group dynamic, the identity of the group can happen in one of two ways. Mm -hmm. I think it's either imposed, even if it's imposed benignly mm -hmm. from the top. Mm -hmm. This is who we are. These are our values. Mm -hmm. This is what you are. This is what you now belong to. <laughs> yes. Or if it's yeah. organic, it yeah. actually evolves as a result of who is in the group. So you leave a company and go back five years later and it's completely changed because the person now has changed. That's if, true. It's, if it's flat, into it hierarchically and people are allowed to express themselves then the group becomes whatever you are and people take their place in it now where the uh, the the dichotomy that you alluded to just a moment ago of who are you when you stop being who you think you are can happen even in that environment is that people recognize this element of who i am is what's most valued this element of who I am is what is most highly regarded. It's what people want. And so instinctively within ourselves, we say, okay, this bit isn't for work, the workplace. This bit of me isn't for the workplace. So we edit this. this. Bit of me, yeah. We edit. And sometimes we edit for safety because we feel that if people really knew me, perhaps they would reject me. So it's the personal fear of rejection. But sometimes we edit because we simply don't trust that actually who we fully are 
will be acceptable in that environment. And so even in, a fl even in, yeah, in yeah. that flat hierarchy, we are who we are, but not all of them. So, so you're saying we're an edited version? We're an edited, yeah. It's like, you know, it, it's the edited version. It's, it's the movie when you see it on the plane and they say we've edited it because of the length of the flight, you know, mm -hmm. not, rather than the director's cuts twice as long. We do that with our own lives. See that? Go on, Chantal, sorry. No, no it's okay. Um, also, it's very interesting because um, we talk about this quite a lot and we find this in organisations that um, and this will actually resonate with you quite a lot, I think, that um, people, the editing process, people will change the way they dress, they will conceal the fact that they're parents. If, it's, you know, I'm a mother, I don't want to be seen as a mother because I won't be invited to overseas projects. Mm -hmm. You know, I've changed the way that I dress because everyone's wearing, I don't know, Patagonia or whatever it is, and that seems to be the thing that everyone's wearing, the dominant. Um, but also, I've been talking to different um, dialect voice coaches that have said, Oh, actually, it's really interesting. We've noticed a trend, a new trend, and we've got this new term. It's called accent reduction. <laughs> and it's so counter to what they're used to doing because, as you know, they'll teach an actor to who's you know English to do an American accent really mm -hmm. cleanly. But what's happening is they're getting people from the corporate world saying, oh, um, you know, I've got an accent that's from the Midlands or, you know, I'm Spanish and I need to clean my accent and they're going that's not even a thing what do you mean like your accent's your accent so it's this whole how do we neutralize the accent and now they have this term called accent reduction wow yeah which is i guess no different from received pronunciation precisely yeah, really. you know yeah when everyone spoke like that <laughs> you know and and, and and that that's just the way that it was for people that were on television, radio, and then also in business. That's because mm. everyone had to speak like that because a posh accent meant came with you must be intelligent if you're posh. That's it. So those two things were, were held together. But for me, I think it's what, what I'm hearing is just this sense of not being able to show up as yourself, and that is that worries me because if you can't show up as yourself mm. you are never going to fully embody what you're mm -hmm. meant to be in your work so that means that you've got reduced assets in your staff if you're talking about teams of people mm. they are going to be reduced by not being able to, able to show up as themselves yeah. so actually it's sure. counter if you want to just go on a business level and be hardline about it you're not going to get the best out of people if they can't show up as themselves when people show up as themselves their assets flow and when mm. they're in that sweet spot they're going to give you the best performance and the, the best relationships and the best everything mm. because they're able to be themselves not only that but one thing we don't talk about nearly enough is how to navigate success and if you're showing up as yourself it's much easier to navigate success because you're sitting in your feelings, you're sitting in where, with where you're at. And so this, the journey of success means that, you, because if you're already hiding part of who you are, or you're trying to be something else, the pressure that comes with success causes explosions. And then we see all of the fallout of that, don't right, we, in our yeah, industry, yeah, in music yeah. and theatre oh, and oh the arts, gosh, all the yeah. fallout. And we see that in business as well. You know, the person that's actually leading a total double life, by the time they get their success, it's like it's become so split. There's a cold kind of schism there where you're, you're, you're not, because you're not showing up with, as yourself, you've gone off at this tangent and you're way over here. And so if you want a business to be successful, people have to be really able to show up as themselves ultimately <laughs> and enjoy the success. And let's not, let's not sort of like 
beat about the bush here. The fact of the matter is, even in the corporate world, there are measures, and it varies from organisation to organisation, of what success is. Mm. If somebody doesn't have any kind of internal yardstick themselves, mm. then they're immediately going to fall into that success is the corner office on this particular floor sure. with this title under the name and this salary with these bonuses. That is success. And the terrible disappointment of life is that you get all that and you're still the same person. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. It's and then you hide even more <laughs> because you feel like an Terrified imposter. Terrified of being found out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what happens all the time. And it's, it's ridiculously affirming to listen to what you just said, Carrie, because yeah. our whole presentation about inclusion being a feeling, we say even if you're the most pragmatic person that has no social interest in this conversation, you don't see it from a consciousness point of view, even if you're just bottom line pragmatic, if you want people to see their best work, they have to be able to be their best self. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So no one can be their best self unless they're their authentic self. That's just not possible. And how can I be my authentic self in an environment where I don't feel I belong? And how can I belong in an environment where I don't feel trusted? How can I belong in an environment and do my, be my best self where I don't feel psychologically safe? And how do I feel psychologically safe somewhere I don't feel valued for who I am? And how can I do my best self, be my best self in most of I don't feel respected for who I am? So there's a lot of complicated stuff that's going on here. And I think, so for us, I, I love the hook around belonging. And I think the interesting thing we're talking about here is that for us, we talk about the notion of the distinction between fitting in, which is always an editing problem, versus fitting together, which is an exciting idea. So we think that if you ask someone to fit in, what you're saying, we say it very innocuously, don't you? hey, fitting in, and we, and we say it in a really sweet way. But what we're not really understanding is that's a very freighted statement because we're asking, how much of yourself did you have to edit to get in here? And time and again, I, 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 I never weary so of, true. but it's true, right? And I, and I yeah. never weary of telling the, the, the pretty woman story because I always think of that story when we have this conversation where, you know, that in the opening scene, one of the early scenes, Richard Gere's character meets Julie Roberts' character and he says to her, of course, we know what the transaction's about, right? But he says, my name's Edward, what's yours? And her answer is just absolutely brilliant. She says, well, what do you want it to be? <laughs> and I think what's happening is day after day after day, because I want to belong, because I want to be accepted, because I want to succeed, because I want the corner office, because I want whatever advancement it is. When you ask me a question, you ask me, what do I think? My answer's going to be, uh, well, David and Carrie are famous, and I want to be accepted by them, and I want to be their friends. Mm. What would you like the answer to be? Yeah. And I, I think some of this so is also to you know do me? with uh, something David and I teach on a lot is with, with our leaders is, sitting with discomfort yeah, yeah i'm comfortable with your discomfort mm. ah but that's an interesting i'm really you, comfortable yeah, so with you being uncomfortable mm -hmm. and until i get comfortable with your discomfort i will always be a people pleaser absolutely i will always be so what nice. you need me to be yeah. until i can sit with okay you're uncomfortable with me and i'm totally okay with that and that's and i'm prepared to walk the miles with you yeah, to get to get comfortable with me because wow. it might take a while that's fine i've got the patience for that but let's talk about that right can let's we come yeah because come. because also i mean that point i mean every, everything you say so hard carry i've just gone download i'm <laughs> like goosebumps i'm like yeah i've got that i bank that wow you know so with david some of the stuff you're saying carry i'm just like oh my gosh i don't even know how to pick into this yet because i'm still i'm processing it and it's just it's amazing what you're talking about um but i think that what you just said there about being comfortable with the 
discomfort or the uncomfortability in somebody else is so counter to the culture that we have created yes, for yes. ourselves now. Yes. And it removes this ability to just be at peace with one another. It's removed curiosity. Yes. We can't be curious anymore because we just have to be right and we just have to agree. And it's all of, it's tricky because then it doesn't allow for that. Um, enough for growth. How are or, you growing? Or that diversity yeah. of thought. And progress. Difference, yeah. Progress never happens out of being right. Progress happens <laughs> out of actually doing something and allowing it to be wrong it's if really it's nice. wrong and learning from it. Gosh. You know, and, and I think that, as you said, when it all becomes about being right and people are fearful of making mistakes, there is never innovation because innovation mm -hmm. means doing something different. Mm, yeah. So you always go back to what you know and what you know works and stagnate. Yeah, and true. in that environment, the individual isn't allowed to be individual or there's no value of being individual. What there is is we have a structure, we have a way, a path, a methodology that has worked in the past. So let's just keep on doing this until the day it stops working. I mean, that was the way that leadership was done for so many years, was the hero leader. You know, the dominant, charismatic hero leader. No, that's changed. You can be a shy leader and be absolutely, you know, knocking it out of the park with your talent yeah. and be shy. Sure. You know, pressure's off. Sure. I've, I'm really excited about where leadership is right now. I feel like it's, it's because it's much more asset-based rather than character, you know, personality-based, yeah. there's so much more scope for an exciting kind of, what teams are you going to make with mm -hmm. that? Because it's not all just cookie cutter. Yeah, it's it's really diverse. And also people, good leadership now, I believe realizes that unity is never forged by uniformity. Oh my gosh. They For are sure. entirely For sure. different. For sure. For sure. Kerry, can I take you back to this point you made about sitting with your discomfort? I yeah. think that because I think that's a really interesting uh, place to go to because I'm intrigued by the idea of sitting with your own, the discomfort because I think that requires one to be personally present. So I have to be present and clean to be able to. I have to be able to deal with my stuff in order to hold you in your stuff. Right? That seems to me to be right. Um, one of the things that we hear a lot when we're starting to work in our space with, with leaders is around the notion of how they deal with difference in the workplace. Yeah. So, and there are certain uh, aspects of diversity that are concealable, mm -hmm. some that are invisible, and some that are not concealable, so you know, whatever it might be. But what I'm interested in is the discomfort, how we work with people who are in the, uh, the group that define what it means to belong here, how we deal with difference in that space. So I'm thinking, for example, and I'm very keen to key into your story. So we were talking a little bit earlier about the whole notion of intersectionality, weren't we, before we came yeah. on air. And one of the things I'm intrigued about is how do you help people yeah. sit with the discomfort of dealing with your Multiple family, let's say. Right? Yeah. Let's talk about your family. Yeah. <laughs> so we have four children, three births, one adopted, all neurodivergent three trans non-binary in a variety of ways and, and on the LGBTQIA spectrum um, and mixed race children. Mm -hmm. And so they, there's a number of this different is, this things is going up on there. Bit, right? yeah, so, you know, back in the day when, when Kimberly Crenshaw... It's like a Subway sandwich. It's yeah. family porky, but... Yeah. yeah, when Kimberly Crenshaw first coined the phrase intersectionality, I have to credit her because 
obviously it meant one thing at that point, yeah, yeah. which was I'm a black woman mm -hmm. and I'm going to get knocked down as a woman. I'm going to get knocked down as a, yeah. as, as a black person. Yeah. So it's that intersectionality. I think what's happened is people have gone, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. There's these other intersections as well. So I think when trying to make a way, say for our 21 year old son, we might go into their workplace and say, right, um, just I hope it's okay to meet with you uh, because the son's autistic. And people are like, okay, yeah, I can deal with that. Oh, the other thing is that um, they're trans. So um, their pronouns are he, him. And then, oh, and actually when they go to the makeup department, someone needs to know how to do Afro hair. So then you're asking for like, I yeah. feel like I'm going in and I've got like such a big list of things yeah. that when, when it was just one thing, it was, it felt like I can just... I've learned how to do the one thing, then it's another thing, or you know, and people think you're a corporate recruiter trying to create jobs for people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, and and I'm I'm uncomfortable, but I'm this doesn't stop me doing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know because I know this is going to be problematic for mm -hmm. people, but I I can't not say. So those things, I think that's that's that intersectionality is sometimes uncomfortable for people, but how are we going to progress unless we sit with discomfort so there might be some things like i know with the company that thailand works for hollyoaks mm -hmm. they were brilliant they sent all their staff before thailand even arrived on set sent them all for two days autism training wow now just to give you some perspective wow. on wow. that that is more autism training than any teacher that had ever taught thailand in his whole school career that's extraordinary wow that's extraordinary. Mm. So a lighting riggers had more autism training than any teacher that taught my child. So that, that so some of it is just training. And I, I know when Ty first came out as non-binary, it was like, okay, right, I'm just gonna have to explain to people the they them thing. And there was a whole there was two or three really simple things that just made it really easy. Mm -hmm. Even though people didn't always get it right. Mm. That's people okay. Get it wrong, get it wrong move on. Yeah. But just there are there are certain things that I think they seem more scary than they actually are. Yeah. And I think that's, after a while, life is so complex, people are so complex, that it becomes really exciting. To me, it's exciting to know who somebody is mm. with all their multiple layers mm -hmm. and which bits matter at what points to them, you know. And ultimately, what I love about working with people is they just become their name. Ultimately, ultimately, yeah. they just become their name. They don't become the this person, the that person, and the black person, the, it's, the, it's, the woman, the autistic so person, or whatever they become. That doesn't John. mean we're not going on the all lives matter tip with that. But no, there no, does no, come no, a point where once you really understand someone, you're like, I get you. That's I them. get your autistic self, or That's I get them. your your ADHD self. That you know. Now I get that. Or I get that when you're disappearing, you're not going on a coffee break. You're going because you, you're going to pray three times a day. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're going off to that little room there that we've provided because, hey, why shouldn't we? Yeah. But that's it's so interesting, though, because when you say that they're just their name, I didn't think you were going that there. I was yeah. going to somewhere else with you, which was thinking to myself, it's fascinating, isn't it, how often we lead with people's perceived stigma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you become oh, completely. the autistic yeah. Yep. So, or the, the disabled person, the disabled person yeah. or the black person or whatever yeah. else. It's very interesting. I don't know about you, but I watch people... When I first met David, I used to watch white people do that with him. I would watch them kind of go, hi, 
And then we know that at some point in the conversation, it's going to get round to the fact that Dave is black. Yeah, we're going yeah. ha- to have that conversation talk about it? in every conversation <laughs> that we have with any white person, and, you know, and including we, and me we, to begin with. Yeah. I was the same. So and we know that every time we're going to go, what? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you for letting me know. I, I wondered why it you're, was. And, you're, and, you're, and you know what? You're not the first person to say that. <laughs> I used to say to David, does that not totally exhaust you? Having to give a reason for your existence every day of your so life. Do you know what? Google is free. Yeah, yeah, really. You but know? What, what do you do with the awkward advocate, though? What do you do with the person that actually is anxious because they're... We, we are now living in this kind of, I'm going to play this out for you, but in this woke society of ours, yeah. whereas I kind of want to say the right thing, but I don't really know what to do. And if I say this, am I going to get in trouble? And will, will HR be on? I love people what like you. Do? You're great. Mm-hmm. People like you, I love. People that get it, people that get it, whether they get it instinctively or have learnt it, I love you people. People that go, I don't know how to do it, but I really want to get it right, I love you. Yeah, I agree. The people that are the problem are the people that think they know it and don't. That's the issue. What do, what do they Because you've got to they... deconstruct. You've got to deconstruct whatever ideas they've got. How do they show um, up, those people? Because they think they know autism, or they think they know. You Can know, you tell me how, what that looks like? Because I'm fascinated by what, what, like. what does that look like? Okay. So, does your child speak? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. Does your child make eye contact? I just met your child to make eye contact. Uh, Are you sure they're autistic? But this, yeah. goes this is into, really, oh yeah. This goes into Do they the really mind? need? Do they really need that adjustment? Do they really need a room on their own during lunch out? Do they really need that? Oh uh, wow! Well. This moves into the microaggressions piece because oh, so micro, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Because because we've got an autistic person in the company. Yeah. They don't need a room. Yeah, that's why it. do you need a room? So it's those kinds of assumptions. And there's a saying that, that I think actually. I first heard it with regard to autism, but I think that as we're talking about intersectionality and we're talking about microaggressions in a minute, it applies to everything, which is if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. You know, if you've... Actually, to your point, if you've met one autistic person, you've just met John. Yes, yes. (laughs) But that's not the reality, is it? And that's not the reality of everybody. And, you know, I think that we, we, we discuss this sometimes laughingly, but the truth is... In almost every society, if you are in a minority, whatever that minority is, or considered to be in a minority of power even, you know, if if there's a a power discrepancy, then whatever minority you are in, you are supposed to be representative of the whole. Yeah, exactly. You know, Mm -hmm. and... And therefore, you go. Uh, some something happens somewhere, and someone says, you know. And we ask the 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 head of the board of British Muslims to explain this to us. And someone will say, well, he didn't apologise on behalf of Muslims. So, hold on. so this man is now expected to apologise on behalf of two and three quarter mm. billion people mm. around the world. <laughs> you know. This black person who did this heinous crime is now expected to be representative of all black people. But of course, these sort of th- th- these sort of weights and measurements are never applied to whatever the principle or the majority of, in anything. So, so if you've got an organisation where it's almost all men in power, then a woman who gains power or gains a seat in the boardroom or gains that you know the, it becomes the, the head honcho is suddenly the example of whether a woman can do it. But Not also, the example yeah. of whether that person can do it. Yeah, yeah but that... and it's a pressure that would never be applied to a man. It would never be applied 
to the majority, whatever the majority is. So you've got a black leader. You know, can black people do this? I don't know. Can this person do it? <laughs> well, you know, without getting unduly political, I wonder when the next time we'll have a black chancellor might be. Yes, because of <laughs> we, we had one for five minutes. We, and yeah, we, we, we tried that, that once. We crashed <laughs> the economy. <laughs> but there is something about that, though, oh, isn't completely, it? Completely, yes. There is something about and, that. And and I think that for me, part of this whole thing of, of not just intersectionality, but the equality of opportunity and the the equality of recognition, means that we must learn to recognise people as individuals and not as representatives of a group. But you see, David, this is where I think it becomes very interesting in, in the kind of speed of everyday life, because the reality is that what we're talking about now is how we stereotype people. Mm -hmm. And stereotyping is a convenience that we've, a, a contrivance, a convenience that we've come to for a group of people that live in a permanent state of partial inattention. So we're very lazy and we just go black, white, Male, female, whatever it might be. Yeah. So you can't be anything more complicated than that because I don't have the time for that because I'm processing exactly. too much data. Yes. And what's interesting about the notion of being stereotyped is it's a fascinating, if you know this, I'm sure, it's a fascinating word that comes from this French word, which is a printing word. And it means that once it's something's printed, it's fixed. Mm -hmm. So now I've got it's like the block that the you print everything block. else That's from. That's exactly yep. where they get it from. And so it's a fixed, unchangeable impression. So now I know what, I know what black people are like because I've met David. I know what <laughs> non-binary people like because I've met whatever you know, and so it goes on. And you and it's fascinating because then you what you do is you apply that stereotype to the entire group. Mm -hmm. So now it starts to become very complicated because it, to your point, Carrie, if you then start now saying, ah, oh, yes, well, interestingly, if we were to have the conversation in the room, none of us are a single characteristic, are we? There's, we're not one attribute because we are all at the intersection of different aspects of, of who we are. Yeah. And it's, it's a really interesting problem. And I, I liked your, where you started originally about gender because I think what you would have to say, the history books will have to tell us that when we think about gender diversity, what that has fundamentally meant, and I say this with respect, is it's meant the advancement of white women. Mm. Gender diversity has not meant the advancement of black women. That's not Absolutely happened. Right. That's not happened. Uh, but we're doing gender. Yes, I understand that. <laughs> but I mean, we also haven't talked about, you know, socioeconomic. Well, there's a whole nother conversation. There's a whole nother And that goes right back into that yeah. um, accent piece. Completely. Exactly. It really does. It, does. Yeah. Completely. it really does. Yeah. It's uh, it's very rarely that. Well, it's not. It's not even that it's rare. Sometimes it is considered a disadvantage and a surprise if somebody from a working-class background who's very successful, particularly in the world of business, still sounds like they did when they walked mm. through the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's a whole there's a whole another problem about that because if you come from, particularly if you're in the elite occupations, if you come from a, a, a an underrepresented group, there is a real moment that you're going to discover where you have to make a choice, or we have to recognise that you can't go back, no. and that no. becomes really problematic. And you live in this kind of it's isolating. It's a kind of it's a bizarre. Where do you belong? Where it's you belonging again. That's a belonging right. point. That's a belonging point. You've got a book coming out fairly soon, I think. We're in the midst of boy, vocal <laughs> training, running this. I don't know how you people run the time, but you've got a book coming out, which I just wanted to talk about because I wanted to under, understand. You were very, um, you're ruthlessly honest people. Um, but one of the things I think you've been honest about, particularly in the press, is not only holding other people in their discomfort, 
but actually you've had to live with your own, right? You've had mm. to make some interesting yeah. adjustments as, as yeah. I mean, we've known you for a very long time, yeah. right? So I've seen the story emerge. Um, tell us a little bit about what the book's about, what we can expect to read, yeah. what, 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 yeah. what made you write it? Uh, we wrote it because I think we wanted to have a record of everything that our family had been through mm -hmm. that was really difficult and really incredible. Mm -hmm. And so the book is called A Very Modern Family nice. and it really is about all the intersections that are represented in our home. And um, I think it's really to just put it out there and just go, here we are, this is our family, aren't they incredible? They certainly are. They're wow, they're totally yeah, they're wow. Amazing. They're amazing. Um, and maybe it will get people to feel a little less uncomfortable because they can read it in their own time and go, oh, I've got all these, I'm curious, I'm curious about what it's like, you know, what was it like when Carrie and David met and she talks about growing up, you know, being brought up racist, you know, I want to have a look at that and maybe yeah. people can own their own attitudes then. Nice. Or we look at, you know, when our children came out as trans and how we responded to that in all the different ways or when we found out they were autistic, you know, all of the responses that we've had um, and, and they've largely been positive, but some of them have been like a bit confused and we've had to work through that. And that's okay to work yeah. through that. We're saying it's okay to work through it. Let's just give people the space and time to work through it. Absolutely. So that really, this book is to help people. It's a, it's a, is it, it's not really a to-do book because well, we're not really very preachy people. it's got tips and advice. Yeah. But one of the things that we spoke it's about stories, earlier really. is this, this drive and this need to be right. And I have to say that all the tips and advice that we have ever gleaned from our experiences have come from initially being wrong mm -hmm. and making yeah. mistakes. Learning to shapeshift. You yeah. know, the only difference yeah. between a wise person and a fool is that a wise person probably makes more mistakes but learns from them. Yeah, that's true. Can I ask a question? Just he says stereotypically about to ask you a question. Um, <laughs> you're not a millennial, are you? <laughs> you're not a millennial. <laughs> Here's my point. Coming from my generation, which I know that you do, yeah. um, have you have you had any kind of had to put a generational lens on this? Have you been thinking about how does a baby boomer come from the generation we come from, where things were as you rightly received in a particular way? Have you had to work any stuff out through reflecting through your generation as you've engaged with this conversation in your own family, or is it just oh yeah, okay, I'm good? No, I've had to work so much. Out. I have had to work so much out. You know, there's nine years difference between Carrie, and I think that that showed probably more in how we adapted to the realities of our family and the needs of our family than almost anything else. We're so alike, and yet I grew up, I think, with absolute, this is how you raise a child. Well, this is what I'm asking. This is what good behaviour looks like. This, this is, is what normal. politeness That's sounds right. like. This is normal and i sometimes say to be honest i knew three cast iron facts about parenting and they were all wrong isn't that interesting what were they? <laughs> they were that children good well-behaved children are a credit to you you take them out they sit in a restaurant and people look and go i want my kids they don't embarrass you in public they never embarrass you children should not talk back your word is final you know, like the because I say so should be a good enough answer to any question. And and thirdly, like respect comes along with a kind of silence. Mm. It's like, uh, how's that working? Sorry, out? Dad. It never worked <laughs> from day one. 
It never was. It's been a steep learning curve, Mr. Graham. But it had been a really steep, and and that that really is a generational thing. But what yeah. it's taught me is beyond precious because what it's taught Wonderful. me is this, and 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 these things that parenting have taught me, I can take into life generally, into the wider world. People are individual because somebody is an amalgam of yours and somebody else's DNA doesn't mean they're remotely like you. Mm. You have to discover who they are and love them for who they are and encourage them to become more of who they are and embolden them to be everything they are. Mm. So I've learned that and that applies right across the board. Another thing I've learned is that circumstances alter cases. What's right for one person in the house is wrong for another person yeah. in the house. There's no blanket one size fits all. You know, the, the phrase you used earlier, uh, are you fitting in? Mm. Just made me think of the difference between going to a shop and picking up a jacket that has the size that is your size, but some shops it's slightly smaller, some shops mm. it's slightly bigger, but it's the same size. So you have to try it on and yeah, go. That's a great example. Or having somebody measure you and make it for you. We have taken your measurement and we have adjusted the fabric to fit you. So we're raising four mm. children in four different ways. We're raising four children in four different ways. But that's such an important point, right? Because you're raising four children, mm. three of whom you share your DNA, right? Which is yeah. your point. And yet you're having to hyper-personalise the way that you raise each of them. Mm. It's not that difficult. Well, I think we make out like it's rocket science. No, but it's not I agree. That difficult. But here's what I want to say though, because I, I, I think it's that difficult. But I tell you why it's not that difficult for you. It's not that, that difficult for you because it's driven through love. Yeah. But let me come back. Here's my point I was going to make, which was if it's the case that four members of a family all needed to be treat, treated equally well, because the whole point about inclusion, inclusion isn't about treating everyone, it's not same treatment, mm -hmm. it's about equal treatment. Equal yeah. treatment, right? which is different. Which is different. Yeah. If that's true for a family with four, what happens if I'm leading an organisation with 20,000 people in it, who are not related, they just happen to coincidentally work in the same space? So you would have to therefore, wouldn't you, hyper-personalise the experience to every single one of those people as well, because they can't be treated the same. They have to be treated equally well. Yeah, 100%. Can I just jump in here? Mm. I think if you're leading an organisation with 20,000 people... You're then, really lucky. Then, A, you're really lucky. <laughs> but, but, you did good. But, you did great. <laughs> but I think that there is, there is a genuine sort of um, unconscious bias towards people who are like us. Affinity and bias is called. Affinity bias. bias. And, you know, we pick people who look like us, sound like us, share our values. But if our values are to give value, and if our, nice. and if our objective nice. Nice. is to enable people to become nice. everything they can be, then we, we can't do that with 20,000 people on our own. So you choose your leaders who share those objectives. You choose them not just on ability, although ability clearly has to be high, but on character mm -hmm. and on the value mm -hmm. that they give, values, yeah. the values that they have and the value that they give to people. If you have a conflict between, you know, the bottom rung of the ladder and making those people feel that they're worth what they're doing and the bottom line of the organization, which means <laughs> steamrollering those people, you choose people mm. who value the bottom rung more than the bottom line. Because yeah. the bottom line, if you value everybody up the ladder, takes care of itself. So good. Or maybe we just dismantle the ladder. 
Oh, you maybe know. we do that. And I think that's, I think for those of us that, maybe we do that. are born outside the box, it's a lot easier to see that. That creative thinking is, imagination mm. is like, yeah, we can think like that. That's, why do we, why does it have to be in the box? The box doesn't really make a lot of sense to people that are outside the box. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's where our people that are different can be so valuable in companies because they bring that out of the box for whatever reason. You know, that can be a neurodivergence, but equally, you three are all outside the box for various different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so what you bring is really precious. That's why you're doing great work, because you get it. And so that, that to me is, they're the people you need to be looking at to employ, is the people that are different. Those should be like top assets. Completely. What I love about your family is they, it's, it's what box? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The funk into dysfunctional. What, what box? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the funk into dysfunctional, yeah. I love it. I really want to lean into this microaggressions piece just a little bit um, more because I know when we think about microaggressions, we tend to think about race, which is, you know, it's, it's a good way in. But actually, you know, anybody can be on the receiving end of a microaggression. And, you know, when you were talking before about, you know, oh, when they met your child who, you know, is on the autistic spectrum, neurodivergent, it was, oh, um, they actually speak. Yeah, they speak like, they, like it's shocking. You know, I mean, that's... Mm. And we could take that a few ways, but that definitely would come under the category of... Uh... Yeah, and I think sometimes people mean well yeah. if they say, oh, you don't look autistic. Exactly. Almost as yeah. though that's so good that you're able to pass. Yeah. You know, like, why shouldn't my child look autistic, you know? What does that mean? What does what that does even, even mean? mean? Yeah. yeah. And I think the other, the other one I noticed, certainly with the trans non-binary side of things, gender issues, is that people will find their respect when they're talking you know if this was you and i'm saying they them and then you move out the room and i say oh yeah she does that doesn't she and so there's a kind of disrespect that that for me would be a microaggression so i'm prepared to show you respect to your face and use the right pronouns but the minute you're out i'm going to use the pronouns that i think you should i think you should have that wow. you know that's what i think i'm not comfortable you know, so with you being you so when you're not here i'll talk about you the way i'm comfortable oh my god and when you're here that i'll talk about you the way you're comfortable that's really disingenuous, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yes, but it happens a lot. And you hear this other one as well, I know is really grating, you know, someone who's neurodivergent. That's a superpower. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? It's like, yeah. autism is a superpower. All black people can dance. <laughs> Women have intuition. You know, they just know it's things. It's the tropes, isn't it? It's, it's all the tropes, the tropes that make and it's interesting, those tropes are adhered to by people who aren't those things. It's like, I know about you, you are a woman and therefore you have intuition. I know about you, you are a black man, so if I put on a piece of music, you're going to be wicked. And I'll stand and watch, I know about you because you're autistic and therefore I can say, what day of the week was it on the 3rd of June, 1936? And you'll know. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> You know, let's try and get out of this and get back again to the person. Because if we're looking at the person, if we're regarding the person, curious about the person and wanting to actually discover everything that they are and everything, every, all their characteristics and see what it is about them where we connect, mm. then we're not going to rely on tropes. Mm. No. Really, I think microaggression is all that stuff that needs to stay in your head, not come out your mouth, stay on your head and get resolved in your, 
on your you own, out in your own time. Yeah, you're so <laughs> right. It own. needs work, but just do it on your own time. <laughs> It's lovely. It's a lovely yeah. point. Isn't it's it? when you go, you're not supposed not to say that bit out loud. Because yeah. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Not that you shouldn't. You shouldn't have those thoughts. But I'm not saying that those thoughts are things that aren't natural to you because of the way you've been brought up, the way we've all got upbringing, we've all got how normal looks. And so when it's outside of normal, it might make us feel like certain things. But keep it to yourself and work it out. That's okay. Do do the journey. Put the hard work in. And then you don't need to make people feel uncomfortable. And can I just say, for anybody listening to this, just thinking, but that's not honest. People, when sometimes people will display their microaggressions, say, I was only being honest as their kind of get out. Being honest means that everything you say has to be true. It doesn't mean that everything that's true has to be said. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's, that's the not truth. honesty. Yeah. That's tactlessness. That's the truth. Wow. wow. Gosh, again, downloading a lot here. <laughs> this is great. Um, one final question for you. Um, what advice would you give to your younger selves? What's the one thing you would take in terms of... This is a good one. How do you I know, know it does so much. Change. <laughs> yeah. One word. Um, I don't know. You go first. I can't think. I would say embrace change to my younger self. I would say awesome. don't be fearful about making mistakes because that's the only way you're ever going to learn anything. Nice. I was terrified of making mistakes. I would say if you find yourself and you live as yourself, your people will find you. <laughs> that's lovely. And I would finally say don't worry about growing old because you're only really old at the point that you spend more time looking backwards than you do looking forwards. Oh, he's so wise. I'm just going to somebody try it now. Um, I think I would just tell my younger self, you're lovely. You're actually lovely. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I know that now, but I didn't know that until I was 40. Really? Yeah. I really like myself, and I'm okay to say that, but I don't think I really knew that when I was younger. It's powerful, isn't it? It's really powerful. I was thinking about how many photos I look at and think, oh, I looked great at the time. I thought, I look terrible. I'm starting <laughs> yeah. to have that. I think that's because I'm getting older as well. But it's only with the oh benefit of hindsight you yeah. realise, actually, you know, let, let me embody this moment. Let's stop judging this moment. Let's just yeah. live it and not, not, and not live it retrospectively and go, oh, that was a great moment. Let's live it in the moment. Mm. Wow. What a privilege. Yeah. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you so much. Thanks for the chat. Nice. You guys asked deep questions. <laughs> Telling you. So deep I drown. <laughs> just, you just kept chatting. I survived. Yeah. Yeah. Made it to the surface in the end. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's great. What an honour. Excited about book. When's the book come out? I don't know. May. Chantel knew. 11th. I have my notes. I think I, let me, I'm going to refer back. Well, I'm going to refer back to my notes. So just give me one second because I didn't have it banked. 11th of May. Wonderful. Oh, I booked something on the 11th of May. Good. And it's called A Very Modern Family. Fantastic.